You're listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. Bridges is a house church movement meeting in homes all across Music City. To find a house church near you or to find other ways to support or get involved, go to bridgesnashville.com. Well, today we are kicking off a brand new series, and I'm going to get there in just a moment. And we've got kids in with us today. Can we give a hand clap for every parent in the room today? We've got kids' activity packs I got to be honest, I'm a little jealous of these activity packs. They've got the slap hand that always got me in trouble when I was a kid, and it picked up every piece of lint in our living room. But uh, good luck with that, parents. Um, Well, I want to open up today with just a bit of an update on bridges, house churches, what the future looks like in 2021 for our church, and uh, how we follow the Holy Spirit's leading. You guys know we have a mantra that everything is an experiment I have a mantra that I've always lived by, and it's this. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always be what you've always been. And we all know 2020 was a year unlike any other. It was a year with many challenges, but it's also in those challenges that opportunity will present itself. And we've always had this dream and this vision to be a house church movement. And so last year, we fully stepped into what would it look like if we met in homes across Nashville and not just on Sundays at the listening room. And we stepped into meeting in homes back in June and July, and we learned so much We got to November, and of course, numbers here in Nashville kind of started to spike, and so we said, well, what if we just take the next couple of months and go all online, and so uh, November uh, was the last time that we've been here at the listening room, and December and January were all online, and we learned a lot in that time. We had so many people joining us. You guys know that every single weekend, we have between five and 10 states tuning in to join us, even people that have called Bridges Nashville home that don't even live within a drive of Nashville, Tennessee. And I got to give a shout out today because we have a really cool story in the house. Where's Michelle? Can you give us a little uh, what up? Yo, let's make some noise for Michelle. Let me tell you this story. I met Michelle. I was leading worship in Baltimore, Maryland about three and a half years ago. Uh, This is before we launched, and I was getting out there and raising funds for our church and and connecting with a lot of churches, figuring out how do we do this thing. And uh, I led worship at a great church up there called Mosaic. I met Michelle at the end of service. She came for our inaugural service here at the Listening Room, September 16th, 2018. She said, I want to be in Nashville, Tennessee. God is calling me to Nashville, Tennessee. Well, at the top of uh, pandemic, Uh, We went fully online. Michelle started watching online. She started engaging. She would be the first comment on pretty much every post and the last comment on all of the worship nights that we were doing. She started to give towards this ministry. You guys, two weeks ago, Michelle moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Isn't that a cool story? And so, listen, we know that online is no longer just a supplement. It's a great way to connect with people that are beyond your reach, beyond your borders. And so between house churches and online, we really believe that God's given us a unique thing to step into. And so here's what it looks like as an online house church movement. When we meet online, we meet in house churches, and, of course, we meet here. What you're at right now, this is First Sunday Gathering, and it's not rocket science. It happens the first Sunday of every month. Uh, We meet here at the Listening Room Cafe for a worship service a message. We'll take communion together. This is where you can connect with people in all different house churches. So we're still doing First Sunday Gathering. Still have 
Second Saturday Serve. Now, if you've never been to Second Saturday Serve, this is our missional arm. Every month, we go out and do service projects here in Nashville, and we've been able to connect with different partnerships. So we've worked with Second Harvest Tennessee, United for Hope, the Bridge Ministry, and I believe those partnerships are going to continue to grow. So Second Saturday Serve is actually coming up in six days, and uh, we meet outside of the listening room. We go out and serve our city. That's still happening. Uh, Quarterly, we have prayer and worship nights. This is another opportunity for us to gather in person together and worship. And I want you to mark your calendars. Write this down if you got a pen or if you got an iPhone that has text capability. That was a joke. Um, February 27th, Saturday evening, we're going to have a prayer and worship night right across the street at Quizera Coffee. And a great coffee shop, great friends of ours. And it's going to be an awesome time in God's presence. So we do quarterly prayer and worship nights. And, of course, last weekend was Fifth Sunday Sabbath. And that happens every time there's a fifth Sunday in the month. Uh, Four times throughout the week we do an all-online worship service. So you may be asking, that all sounds like what it sounded like in 2020. What's different? Well, the way that house churches will gather and connect is going to change a little bit. We've done so much research with other house church movements. We've been praying and dreaming with our house church leaders. We do a bi-weekly Zoom with all of our house church leaders. And so besides first Sunday gathering, that every Sunday we're going to host an online worship service. And online, you're going to see the message. We're going to have worship. You can watch that at any time. You can engage with that at any time. It's going to be on our podcast, all of our social medias, uh, and, of course, on YouTube. Uh, Now, previously what was happening is house churches would come together on Sunday and watch the message together. So what we're doing is we're going to kind of let these two areas live apart. And we've been dreaming of a way of how do you make house church more organic? How do you make it more connection based and discipleship based. Really, how do you make house church more simple? So from this point on, house churches are going to meet in the evenings throughout the week. This could be Sunday evening. Uh, This could be Tuesday evening. This could be Thursday evening. Much like small groups do, if you want something to kind of wrap your head around it a little bit, house churches will meet in the evenings, and uh, some are going to share a full meal. Others will share like coffee and snacks and kind of a lighter uh, hors d'oeuvres or duvres, if you will. Um, but house church, we believe when we look at Jesus, he did all of his ministry around tables. He, he met, he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he ate with so many people and he was always out meeting with people over tables. And so we said, what if table was the center instead of TV? What if we gathered around a table, whether it's a coffee table or a dinner table, and we're gonna give our house churches uh, discussion questions to go off of the message that you've already had the opportunity to watch on Sunday morning. And so you're going to come to house church with that foundation already laid. We're going to go through scriptures together. We're going to still pray and share testimony. We'll have acoustic worship at times. We'll take communion at times. But here's going to be the main point of house church. Whenever we ask this question, what is God speaking to you for tonight? What is God putting on your heart for house church. See, what we truly believe here at Bridges is that God can speak to every person. And we want to see people activated in their faith, growing as disciples, hearing from the Lord, 
We all bring something. Check out what 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says. This is a letter that Paul wrote. He says, when you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation that God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. So we take this as our cue of thinking, well, what if we all come together knowing that we have something to contribute? I think what God is doing over this last year is he's taking his church from being a bunch of consumers of religious goods and services and turning us into disciples who want to make disciples. How many of you guys know that there is more to this life than what we're currently living in? Amen? And so we, we started to look at how we do house church, and we thought, man, if you take that screen, how many of us see enough screens during the week? Right? So if you take the screen out of house church, I, I liken it to this. You can go to the movies with a bunch of your friends, or you can go to dinner with a bunch of your friends. And when you go to the movies, you're in the same room, but you're not necessarily connecting with each other. Oh, but when you go to dinner, hey, how are you doing? How have you been? What's God doing in your life? Prayer requests start to rise up. Opportunity to share testimony starts to rise up. And so we think that around a table is the way to do house church, knowing that you may come to house church empty, but you won't leave that way. God can speak to you, and God can speak through you. And if you've had the opportunity over these last couple months of being online to join any of our uh, virtual house churches on Zoom, who's been able to join one or a couple of those? Yep, we've got some people in the house. You know that when we ask that question, it starts to light up and all of the Zoom boxes start having people share what God's been speaking to them and what they're going through. And it's an amazing time. And so February is going to be a bit of a transition month for us. We're not going to launch this model until March. And so you've got a little bit of time. I've got a graphic here that I want to show you. We're going to start off with three house churches. Really simple. A couple of them are going to meet on Sunday evenings, and one is going to meet on Thursday evenings. So if one of those fits your schedule. But here's the deal. Over the month of February, you got to connect with one of these house churches. So if you're a house church leader and you're here, can you just raise a hand? Love it, love it, love it. So you would definitely want to connect with Stephen, Karen, Scott, and Kristen, Cordell, Delaney, and Patrick after service. And if you are here and you're like, I don't even know what house church is and you just want to get a glimpse of what we're talking about, I would encourage you, uh, over the month of February only, on Wednesday nights at 7, we're going to continue to host Virtual House Church. And you can find the link on our Instagram page or on our website, bridgesnashville.com. You can get a glimpse of what I'm talking about and how it looks on screen, and then we're going to translate that to the physical in March. Clear as mud? Awesome. Listen, I'm sure you have questions. And so Pastor David right here in the center and I, we have been working with our house church leaders. We've been praying together. And so if you have any questions, make sure you uh, not grab Pastor David, but, you know, talk to him after service. Talk to me at the connection table. We would love to talk about house church. We're so passionate about this and we know our best days are ahead. And uh, here's the deal. If you are interested in maybe one day you want to host a house church, Definitely connect with us. I'd love to take you to coffee, hear your story, and share some more vision. Once again, this is going to kick off in March, okay? Well, that felt a little bit like Inception, a dream within a dream, a message within Bible reading plan on our Instagram page, 
or by going to bridgesnashville.com and clicking on February updates. And it's a 10-day plan. You can join at any part during the month of February. It's a very simple Bible reading plan, but it's going to be great because it opens with devotionals, and it helps tie in the Word of God to our everyday lives. So if you have a Bible this morning, you can go ahead and open up to James chapter 1, and uh, we'll get there in just a moment. During the, the, during the American Revolutionary War, uh, on December 23rd, 1776, George Washington's Continental Army stood on the banks of a half-frozen Delaware River. On the other side was an army group of German mercenaries known as the Hessians. And now Washington's army had already suffered several defeats in battle. They were cold, they were hungry, it was three days before Christmas, and they were homesick. And it was at this point that George Washington, not yet president, but general, stood in front of his army, opened up a little book by Thomas Paine called Common Sense, and read these words to his discouraged troops. These are the times that try men's souls. But Washington didn't try to sugarcoat it. He didn't try to convince them that things aren't really that bad and you're really not that hungry or homesick. He just laid it out there. These are the times that men's souls are tried. James chapter 1 Verses two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me give us a little bit of context as we start this series. Uh, any guesses as to who wrote the book of James? No one's answering. Uh, we're pretty sure James wrote it. Uh, now, we don't necessarily know which James. There are several throughout the New Testament, but most scholars would agree that it was James, the brother of Jesus. Now, my brother and I are pretty close. In fact, he's watching right now from Keller, Texas. Can we give a shout out to my brother Nate and his family? They're watching online. What's up to all of our online family this morning? Um, now, I could convince my brother of a lot of things growing up, right? But the very fact that Jesus was able to convert his brother who grew up with him, who did life with him, and James would become a disciple, a convert. He would lay down his life for the sake of the gospel. That might be one of the best arguments for Jesus being who he said he was and doing what he said he did. James, his half-brother, and he wrote this gospel, or he wrote this letter somewhere around 40 AD, and it actually is the earliest of all of the New Testament letters. And James was writing to the early church, uh, mostly Jewish converts, but there were also some Gentiles sprinkled in there. And the main reason that James was writing to the early church was there was a lot of stuff going down. And James' main message is this. You can believe the right things and still live the wrong way. You can believe the right things and still live the wrong way. And James addressed some things that I think many of us struggle with today. He, he talked about slander, uh, favoritism, pride. James shares how to practically live out our faith in trying times. He talks about how to gain wisdom and how to endure. We're going to talk about all of that as we continue this series, but today I want to lean into James chapter 1 with probably the lightest subject of all scripture, uh, suffering, okay? Let's look at the NLT version. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Not if, but when. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. Number one, 
you will experience suffering. I wish I could give you some better news, something more lighthearted, but that's the God's honest truth. If you haven't yet, you will. At some point, you will experience trials. It is a guarantee. In fact, Jesus told us in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you may have trouble. Wait a minute. In this world, you might have trouble. No. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. And what I've learned about suffering is this. Everyone you know is going through a battle right now. Some you can see very clearly. Others are hidden on the inside. Life is not all rainbows and sunshine. There's a lot of storms mixed in there. And when it comes to storms, you're either in one right now, you just came out of one, or guess what? You're about to go into a storm. And James isn't telling us this to discourage us. He's telling the body of Christ this to prepare us, to equip us, to prepare us for the twists and turns that come on the road of life. When I was in high school, I hadn't been driving very long, and I was in Salem, Virginia. It had just snowed. I was driving from uh, high school to my home. It's only about a two-mile drive. But on this back road, uh, there were no warning signs for what was ahead. And sure enough, I hit a treacherous patch of ice, did 360s off of this elevated road, and somehow landed 30 yards off of the road in this field on all four wheels of my car. The car was fine. I was okay, too. But mostly my car was okay, thank God. Um, But here's the deal. Maybe you're picking up what I'm laying down. If there had been a warning sign before that patch of ice, I would have proceeded with a different mentality had I known the dangers that were coming down the road. God has given us a heads up in James chapter 1. He doesn't want you to be blindsided when hard times come, and surely they will come. He wants us to be ready for whatever may come. Somebody once told me, a few years back. If you never want to experience opposition in life, it's easy. Just don't do anything. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said it this way, nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. I have never in my life, he said, envied a human being who led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who led difficult lives and led them well. And when we read the Bible, we can see story after story of the people of God enduring hard times. Now, how do joy and trials even enter into the same sentence? How is joy and trials in the same category? Jesus shows us how. Hebrews 12, verse 2 in the NLT says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. How can joy come from suffering? Because God always has a purpose in our suffering. There was a joy set before the Lord on the other side of the cross. Now I want to say right here and right now, that God does not cause evil or bad things to happen in our lives. God does not take pleasure in our suffering. Amen? He's a loving father, not a sadistic bully who loves to see his kids struggle with anything. 
God doesn't cause suffering, but he can always turn it around for our good and for his glory. And that's what we see throughout scripture. God will often allow suffering to happen because he knows the ultimate outcome. See, suffering is one of those areas where we just simply have to recognize that he is God and we are not. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there are some things on this side of eternity that we simply cannot wrap our minds around. One of the most intense examples of suffering in all of the Bible happens in the story of Job. I mean, if you think you've had a hard day, read Job chapter 1, right? He loses just about everything save his life. But it's important to know as you read this story that God did not cause the suffering that came upon Job. He allowed it to happen to shape him, but God was not the one who brought about the destruction. That was Satan. Remember that Jesus is our best picture of what God looks like. He said in John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in John 10, 10, he tells us exactly why he came to do, to represent the heart of the Father. And it's this, I have come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. And in that same verse, he tells you that there is an opposition that comes from the thief, the enemy, Satan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy is the one who means to destroy us. But God is the only one who can bring a joy from suffering. No, God did not take pleasure in seeing Job attacked. He just knew that Job would make it to the other side. God is in the redemption business. Count it all joy when you face trials. Wow, we're only one verse into James 1, and it's already jam-packed. Count it all joy. Why? Read on, and you'll see why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number two, we grow, we grow from times of suffering. In James 3, uh, verse 3 of James 1, he calls it testing, right? Now, the Greek word for testing here is dikemion. And it's a test done on something to prove its value, to prove its worth, James was writing to an audience that would have been familiar with this process called refining. And it's used in precious metals, particularly in gold. And here's what refining looks like. They would heat up gold to the point of melting, and then everything that wasn't pure gold, all the impurities, or what they call dross, would rise up to the top, and they would take a tool and scrape away all of the impurities, leaving only behind the highly liquefied, highly temperatured, uh, gold, but it was purified, it was refined, it was valuable. See, if that gold literally didn't go through the fire to be tested, it wouldn't know its value. We can't really know what we're made of. We can't know the authenticity of our relationship with Christ until we hit some point of testing. But here's what I know. The furnace of suffering proves our worth. Maybe 2020 was one of those years. Maybe you've lost a job or you know someone who lost more than that. This has been a hard year for many of us. But I promise you, it produces endurance. Recently, God was speaking to me about this idea of suffering. And he brought to my attention a verse that we usually read through the lens of blessing. Stick with me here. Matthew 25, 23, you've heard this verse. If you're faithful with little, he'll make you ruler over much. And so many times we preach and we hear and we learn that verse through the context of blessing, right? 
That if you're faithful with a little bit of money, God will give you more. Are you faithful in this part of your job, you'll get promoted. Are you faithful with this amount of success, he'll give you opportunity for more. And that may be true, but I also believe this applies to suffering. Here's why. When God sees that we're faithful through this amount of suffering, he can stretch us and groom us and prepare us for what life is surely going to bring down the road. When I was a teenager, the things that I walked through that I called suffering pale in comparison to what I walked through in my 20s, which pale in comparison to what I've been walking through in my 30s. I love my kids, but kids will bring endurance. Amen. And uh, at some point in my 40s, they will be teenagers, and that's when I'm going to send out prayer requests on a weekly basis. I need you guys praying for Sarah and I. Uh, But listen, God grows us in times of suffering. Why? So that we are equipped to handle more. Small business owners will tell you that in the first year, you're going to face hardships that are going to prepare you for the second year of hardships. What was the great rapper? Uh, Mo money, mo problems, right? Now, you've heard it said that people don't always learn from their successes, but they always will learn from their failures, and the same is true about trials. I love the theologian Kelly Clarkson. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. God never wastes trials, and he's looking for our faithfulness in the suffering. And his promise, listen, his promise is joy on the other side. Testing proves our worth. It produces endurance, and it results in Christ-likeness. See, endurance isn't the goal of suffering. Maturity in Christ is the goal. When we go through hard times for the sake of the gospel, staying true to Jesus, we are actually able to identify with Jesus. Suffering gives you the ability to identify with our Savior. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed at the revelation of his glory. In Romans 8, Paul said it like this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And here's my third and final point with suffering. You will overcome. James 1.4 Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And this is the purpose of suffering. It doesn't end with hardship. It ends with maturity in Christ and with us being complete, not lacking anything. See, our response to suffering reveals our hearts. And if we trust God in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, and like Job, never cease to praise him, maturity And wholeness in Christ is the joy on the other side of suffering. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, this crown of life isn't a crown that's gold and placed on royalty's head. In fact, James was talking about the crown that was made of laurel wreath that would have been placed on the winner of an Olympic race. When they run the race and they win the race, they get a crown. And when you run this race called life with faithfulness and endurance through the trials, there is a reward, get this, there is a reward of honor and glory from Christ. How amazing is that? And we can win the race. We will overcome. 
Because of Jesus' victory at the cross, when he won the war on sin and death over the enemy, you and I were given the opportunity to overcome. Back to Romans 8, and I'm going to close with this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake? We face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Does anybody believe that today? Can we give God a shout of praise this morning? He's good. He is good. Thanks for listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. To stay up to date on everything going on at Bridges, you can find us online at facebook.com slash Bridges Nashville or at Bridges Nashville on Instagram.